Hello, hello. Hey, up. What's up? What's good? Okay, cosa succede? Ni hao, pubiet. Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, intellectual, and artistic people in the world. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. We have an exceptional episode for you today with an extremely talented guest, performer, singer, producer, who can essentially be summed up as simply a creator. Eric Cawson, also known as Erico, joins the show. Erico recently released his debut single, San Francisco, a thoughtful homage to the Bay Area in which he grew up. The new single was accompanied by a music video in which Eric also directed. It may be the pop singer's first song, but his professional career has been deeply rooted in the performing arts. The independent singer, songwriter, and producer hails from Phoenix, Arizona and has been performing in musical theater, choirs, and a cappella groups throughout his performing life. Erico graduated with a BA in Arts Administration from the meritorious Arizona State University, Go Devils. After graduating, he moved to Los Angeles to work in entertainment marketing where he worked on campaigns for Empire, Amazon Music, BET, Netflix, HBO, and more. During the pandemic, Erico reignited his passion for music making and produced his musical debut, San Francisco, celebration of his identity as a gay Filipino-American. On today's episode, Erico chats about the creative process behind writing the song, and he reflects on where he finds creativity. Erico also talks about the lessons he's learned working with other artists and the importance of asking for help. And finally, Erico discusses how he handles doubt and uncertainty, which can be paralyzing for many young artists. This was an absolute stellar, stellar conversation with Eric. I've known him for several years and I've been watching his career from afar. It's been certainly a thrill for me to watch his evolution as a performer. Loved me conversation. I learned a ton. Thrilled for everyone to meet him. But before we bring him on, we're going to play a sample of his new single, San Francisco. And at the back end of the episode, we'll play another snippet from the song. Thrilled for everyone to meet him. So let's go ahead and bring on singer-songwriter Erico, and let's learn. I want to go to San Francisco More than just a trip I want to see some pretty faces And love what heartbreak really is I'm driving up to San Francisco I need to get away joining me what are your earliest musical influences and do you actually remember your first albums and the first concert you attended first off thank you for having me i'm very excited to be here on the podcast um yes i do remember my earliest when i was super young when i was still living in california the first show that i remember going to or my parents took me to was which was like you know at the time one of the biggest pop stars um but yeah, I grew up listening to a lot of like that classic pop music from the 90s, Britney Spears, Spice Girls, Christina Aguilera, but um, there are like lots of videos of me as a little kid dancing on my like great grandpa's table in the kitchen and like it's like a nickname that I had when I was younger. Was there a specific artist that you remember, a specific album that you were like, okay, I want to do this? I remember, I forget what the album was 
what album it was. I think it was In the Zone or something. My dad like brought the album home for me, like without me even having to ask. It was like a Britney Spears record. Um, it wasn't the first one. It was, it was, I think it was the one that had I'm a Slave for You on it. But um, I don't know. I really think I'm, a, as far as my musical influence, I, I really do believe that I'm like a product of my environment and like where I grew up in the kind of cultures that I've been surrounded in growing up in California, especially like during when I was like a toddler and stuff, growing up on R&B and hip hop that was really popular on the West Coast, especially in the 90s, to moving to the white suburbs of Arizona, where I grew up, uh, started listening to a lot more like alternative and indie music, you know, Paramore, Fall Out Boy, stuff I probably wouldn't have gotten into if I didn't live out here. Mm -hmm. And then getting into college was a whole nother like music environment of being exposed to more singer songwriter stuff um edm specifically i started raving like a lot um but all, all like over all these years of being a big music fan and um going to a lot of shows and festivals and whatever a little bit of everything and i love hearing about the different phases that from edm phase i think that's part of there's natural music, but also just part of our lives of going through different music. You mentioned growing up in the Bay Area. Well, your new single is titled Cisco. How did the Bay Area play a role, your growth, your evolution, and why did you feel that it used the Bay Area in the creation of the new song? Sure. When I was growing up, San Francisco was the first big city that I remember visiting. Like, that family that lives in San Francisco, at the time I lived in, like, Monterey, which is the central coast. And we would drive up to San Francisco. My uncles that lived there were the ones that really exposed me to, like, music playing not just listening but like playing music and playing the piano and like having me sing and my earliest memories of musical creation and it always had a special place in my heart um and a couple years later not a couple years many years later um like right after i graduated high school san francisco was the first place that i celebrated my first like pride festival which was really crazy because like at the time in 2012 that was still around the time that like I think San Francisco represented for me this sense of like freedom and safety um, especially from an LGBTQ standpoint but as I was revisiting um, this song last year um, I had this like epiphany that um, my great-grandparents immigrated into San Francisco from the Philippines like nearly a century ago, like almost to a T. Um, so the timing of it was really weird. And like, as I was arranging the song and like producing the trumpets and all this stuff, I just like those themes of kind of being somewhere where you feel like you belong um, started coming out a lot more. And like um, that coincided with my strategy of releasing it during Asian Pacific American Heritage Month and Pride, um, because it really is like <clears throat> a celebration of this intersection of my identity that like, you know, took me unfortunately 26 years to be comfortable enough to like spotlight that as what it is. So um, for me, it's a lot of creative freedom, cultural, you know, recognition well i applaud your decision your timing of when you released it but i'm also fascinated by it because you told me this was this was your debut single but you sat on it for a year and i know that's got to yeah. be tough because especially once your debut you want to get it out and i know that we joked before about the little wayne quote of real g's moving silence like lasagna <laughs> so you were doing this. how did that go for you emotionally as far as sitting on something for a year knowing gosh i want to release this i want to share it um i think i don't know i Takes a lot of discipline. I have always, yeah, I feel like um, 
I've always been a firm believer that like when it comes to any type of art or anything, it's like, I'm not one to put something out to put something out. Like there has to be meaning and intention behind it. And I didn't feel like it was right until this moment. I think it also has a lot to do with the pandemic. Like <clears throat> I lost my job over the pandemic. I got a new job over the pandemic. I had way more time and work-life balance with this new kind of lifestyle that I've fallen into. And with that, I had way more time to be creative and go back to the studio factor in making this possible. Well, you mentioned doing some of the production on the horn. What's the songwriting process for you, both production-wise? For the beat, but also for the lyrics. Are you someone who forces creative? Like, I'm going to sit down tomorrow and I'm going to be yeah. creative, I'm going to knock out the drums, or are you just yeah. let me wait for it to hit? Yeah, I have stopped trying to time out creativity. Um, I did in the past, but it wasn't really working for me. And kind of like um, scheduling creativity, I found myself like, creating stuff I just wasn't happy with or just like getting frustrated that I wasn't creating something good enough. Whereas like when I'm struck with the um, idea or, you know, whatever it is, I kind of like ride that wave um, until like it's over. Um, so like San Francisco, when I started revisiting the song this year, this like a couple months ago before we started going in the studio, um, we spent a collective like 40 hours on the song um, between like recording instruments and like, like mastering and stuff, which is like, I don't know, really interesting and validating because along the way of this process, I realized I kind of like know what I'm doing. Like it was very validating to be in the booth and like know what to hear for and what to listen to and um, be able to tell my engineer, like, this is what I want. and him agreeing, you know. What I know about you, you're very critical of things in a good way, right? You want things to be perfect. You want things to be right. And I know that you're not someone who's going to just put out something like you mentioned, you sat on it for a year. So how do you know when something is right? How do you know when something is done? Because the artists that I've talked to always have remarked that art is never done. It's never, ever, ever finished, never complete. So how did you know it's time? For sure. When I first put the demo together two years ago, I was consulting with a producer out in LA that I really looked up to as a songwriter, vocal producer, um, performer. I've seen him live many times. And um, during that process, it like really humbled me and um, informed me of a lot of things I should be paying attention to. And um, I took the one time that we did have a session, I took his notes and like held them very dear to my heart for the next year. And so when it was time to get back in the studio, I knew exactly like what we needed to do. Um, as we started re-recording more instruments and uh, more voices and bringing more artists into the studio, um, there were a lot of chefs in the kitchen, but that was something I was okay with because as um, much of a perfectionist that I am, I in bring people into the studio with intention because I value the opinions that they're going to bring, not only because like they can play guitar or they can, you know, sing the vocal part, whatever. I bring them in because I value their talent, but also their ears. Like I can't trust my own ears most of the time. So um, with all these, you know, talented people in the studio, when it came down to it, when I felt like we re-recorded every part we needed to, the mix sounds as best as we're going to get it. 
the last session was just me and my producer. And um, at the core of it, although I had all of their opinions in my head, it was all about, you know, being confident in my own creative choices down to the wire. I really love your point about you couldn't trust your own ear and it's helpful to have someone else, especially someone else that you trust and you respect. You've worked right. with artists and musicians for a long time before releasing your debut single. What do you feel is some of the biggest lessons you've learned from observing other artists and working with other artists? Yeah, from working with other artists and also like performing throughout my entire life, I think is helps manage expectations um, as far as the career goes and project management goes. Um, I think kind of being on the sidelines and behind the scenes over the past couple years, working in uh, public relations, digital marketing, and experiential in music from a lot of different angles and a lot of different genres um, allowed me to see what this kind of creative process is like, not only from a logistical and management perspective, but also from a creative perspective. And like, I think doing all of those projects and campaigns specifically for independent artists in the past that were just like breaking with their new single, watching that process over and over helped me get like in a bird's eye view of what a, a music campaign looks like. And now when it comes time all these years later to do it for myself and kind of applying everything that I learned and um, focusing it on my own, you know, project, um, there's a little, I guess not only creative pressure, because like I said, I've been performing for a long time, making music for a long time, people just don't really know. Um, but there's also a lot of like pressure as far as my work experience. Like this is, this campaign rollout to me is indicative of my ability to be a good digital marketer, especially in entertainment since I've done it already. So um, I think it's like pressure that I'm putting on myself, but like, so far, I'm really happy with how the world has been and how the numbers have been performing and whatnot. You have worked in the music field for a long time. So I'm curious, what were some of the aha moments or the things you learned from putting out your own music? Well, do you have any moments like that where you're like, wow, I never learned this before. I never knew this before. I, actually, I'm going to say no. And that's a, that's a good thing it to is? me yeah. just because I realized like along every part of the way when it comes to music production, distribution, rights, um, all of that stuff. I, when it came to that point to, you know, attack these things, I knew exactly how to do it. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, it was, like I said, this whole process has been very validating and kind of exciting. It makes me think that like, cool, I could do a bigger project now. Like, um, so yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't say that there were any aha moments, but I think there are a lot of moments that I'm excited to expand upon for the next round. I'll say that. What I love hearing from you is that you keep using the word project and campaign. You're, you're not saying my new single. This is more than just a song. It's a, it's a big project. It's a music yeah. video that accompanied it. It's, it's so much that came with it, the digital marketing, the whole bit. So what was it yeah. like planning? What was it like planning a music video as well? Because that's one more thing that you have to worry about. You're not just releasing a single. You've got to coordinate yeah. all the artists as well. So what was that like? I think. Um, I'm a firm believer in um, visuals with a song. I think some of the greatest, you know, pop acts and biggest pop songs always come with a visual, um, especially for a new artist. I think if you frame the song in people's heads, 
um, the associations are there a lot stronger and um, I think it'll resonate a lot more, mm -hmm. um, especially as a new artist. But um, yeah, I knew from the beginning that I didn't want to just put the song out. I wanted to put it out with the video. And um, that also goes hand in hand and why I delayed it for a year because we were already in the middle of May and I was like, there's no way I can shoot and edit a video in time. Um, working under this pressure of like needing it to be out before the end of May, before June starts, um, was healthy. Like it was a necessary creative pressure that we set on ourselves um, with a good timeline. And that again, I wouldn't have understood or known how to manage a timeline like this if I hadn't done it before for other artists. Um, but I think the, the coolest part about producing this music video for me was um, getting to collaborate with so many creatives here locally. Um, the, I was on the fence when it came to the music video if I should shoot it in Los Angeles or shoot it here in Phoenix um, because, you know, all the resources are in LA, but it's much cheaper to, sh to produce a video here in Phoenix. I ultimately chose to do it out here and um, I thought back to what my thesis director told me in college. Um, he, when I told him that I wanted to move to Los Angeles, he said um, it would be awesome if more creatives stayed here to make it better for the next people so they don't want to leave to the coast, they want to stay too. And I thought about that a lot while producing this and like while I was putting together my creative team and crew, it took a little bit of digging to find the right people to do what I wanted out here, but it was so worth it in the end because I look back at my crew and my cast of dancers, it's majority of people of color, um, it's queer, it like the crew and cast rep like is reflective of the song and the content and the values and ethics that I was trying to like get across. And it was also a huge lesson in like your crew doesn't have to be just a, a bunch of, you know, old white guys that have been doing it for a long time. If you look hard enough, you can find just as people in our own backyards that just haven't been given the opportunity because people don't make music videos in Phoenix. When you created the, the music video, who were some of the creative influences that inspired you? Uh, one major influence for the music video was actually my great grandpa, Alicio, who um, was, who immigrated to San Francisco from the Philippines. But um, I recently found out that he was in a documentary about immigrating. And when I watched it, um, I saw a lot of visual references that I wanted to like pick apart and expand to create um, the set design for music video. So the opening shot of San Francisco is this wall of photos on this wood paneling, which was a direct reference to my great-grandpa's house growing up. He had a, a wall there that had a bunch of uh, family photos. Um, the family photos that I used in the music video were all of my family, um, but they also, one of them was the actual ticket um, that, I guess like, the, yeah, it was like the boat ticket from Manila to San Francisco, which is really cool. Um, the fashion choices in the music video too, um, I was in, uh, intentional with choosing Asian American designers. So I wore like Sunday school. Um, yeah, and we made all of the, sh uh, all 
ensemble shirts intentionally to be a pride flag. So when we're all together and dancing, you feel like all the colors together. Um, yeah, there was a one set piece that I'm really proud of, the disco ball chandelier that we created. It took a lot of time because it broke multiple times. And I hate arts and crafts, so it was really frustrating. And I'm very happy that I had a creative team to work on that. But I was um, trying to figure out like what could be a really cool centerpiece. And I saw disco balls. And again, I'm not one to just like choose something because um, just because when I thought about it, the um, disco balls like representative disco culture, which is inherently rooted in, you know, the underground gay scene of the 70s. So it was a good nod, I feel to me it was a good nod to gay culture to include something like that, but then we kind of like elevated it by, you know, adding all these gorgeous flowers and um, kind of referencing the, the jungles of the Philippines too. So um, there's a lot of intention behind a lot of the set design and creative choices that we did in the music video. Um, as far as dancing, which I was very on the fence about until the very last minute, I wasn't sure if I wanted to dance, but the first part of the entire music video that I knew, um, or the first reference that inspired the music video was this traditional Filipino dance called the Tinikling, which is a dance with bamboo sticks. You kind of like jump over and through them. Um, a lot harder than it sounds. Um, but I used to do this dance when I was a little kid. I would perform it at like Asian American festivals and things like that, even here in Phoenix. And, and um, when I was like writing the song, I wrote the outro, which is a lot more up-tempo and like fun and bouncy. The first idea I had for the music video was the sneakling. And so years later, when it came time to produce it, I reached out to one of the only Filipino dancers I know in Phoenix. Um, and she happened to be part of a larger dance crew, the Electrolyte, that um, ended up being such a huge, huge, huge resource to the music video, like in a necessary part of the music video too. Um, the song's all about celebration and the choreography that Goose uh, came up with and Beto um, was really a celebration of that. I was really um, set on having a couple number, like the big dance number in the music video. Um, I wanted it to be gender fluid um, and yeah, no, non-gendered. Non so we have guys dancing with guys, girls dancing with girls, whatever. Um, because as I was trying to pull references of music videos, a lot of pop videos always have your, you know, good couple dance number and all the ones that I was watching, there's none that I've seen that are like overtly same sex, you know? So it was um, important to me that we kind of created that representation on screen with that. I love the music video. And as I was watching, I was just curious of how many times you had to perform and where do you get the tenacity to do it every time until it's right? Because I know <laughs> Probably at times, as much as you love the song San Francisco, there were probably times where you're like, and the last thing I want to do is hear that song again and dance that song again. So yeah. How do you have the tenacity? How do you have the endurance to do that? I guess it's the most, like, one, I couldn't have done it without everyone on set, like, helping me do it over and over. Like, we shot the video. We were there for eight hours in the studio. Mm. We probably sh shot for six of those eight hours. Um, so it was a lot of repetition. I was really sweaty. So there's like 
probably four people that their job in between takes was just to get me to stop sweating, which was really funny. So then <laughs> I stood in a freezer like for a lot, a lot of time. Anyway, um, yeah, I think the choreographers and the dancers like made me feel so comfortable on set. I used to dance growing up, but it's been a really long time since I danced. And so having the right people on set to make me feel comfortable enough to like make mistakes if I need to, but you know, motiv motivate me to keep going too is really important. You have an extensive resource of people that you know from your time at Arizona State University because you performed in more than one group. How did that time at Arizona State University, both forming, managing, singing, how did that shape you as an artist? I go about producing music through the lens of acapella arranging since I was in an acapella group all four years. So it always starts with the vocals for me. Um, I might start with like a horn sample like I did with San Francisco, but then I'll build a hook, a chorus, a bridge all around that. Um, so I think that had a huge effect on the song production, but the management and like being in an acapella group and, you know, doing gigs every month, all that stuff. It's all useful of just, you know, always being in front of an audience and stuff. I don't think I would ever go back to doing acapella music again, but um, it was definitely, um, it was a great creative outlet at the time. And I'm happy that I have an, a new creative outlet. Well, speaking of creative outlets, where do you find creativity? What inspires you? Songwriting. I'm now realizing as I've gotten older, all the songs that I write are about a lot of things that I just don't talk about with people, like even with my friends. Um, a lot of it is like really can't be corny relationship stuff and whatever, but in like in real life, Eric is, you know, very logical and not very an emotional person and um, not one to, wear his heart on his sleeve but um, Erico on the other hand has become an outlet to place all those feelings that I don't normally talk about as Eric um, and doing it in a way that's still me and not having to create like a new persona. Challenging year for everyone but a very memorable year for you during all this you're releasing your first single coordinating a music video moving changing careers changing professions so much is going on in your life with all that being said what do you feel is the biggest life lesson you've learned from the last 12 months? The biggest life lesson that I've learned in the last 12 months has definitely been asking for help. And I think a lot of that came to light in producing the song in the video. But I am now so unafraid to not do everything myself. I still do a lot of the project by myself, management, strategy, whatever, creative direction. But I value and um, really hold dear the opinions, talent, and skill of the people that I collaborate with. I think after working in music specifically for the past couple years, um, it really opened my eyes to what I don't know. And instead of having to learn all of those things, which is a lot, I'm not going to learn how to run a, a board during a session. I'm not going to, you know, learn how to do SEO really well, even though I did end up getting a certificate in digital marketing over the um, pandemic. Um, there are things that I would much rather leave to the experts. Like, I know how to use Photoshop, but I'm not gonna design my own album cover. Like, there are things where 
I value the creativity and skill of some other artists so much um, that I think I'm being unafraid to ask for help and for them to, to provide an answer, a solution that ends up being way crazier beyond expectations that you have. Um, that has been like a huge, huge lesson. I think that's a tremendous, tremendous lesson. What was the music that got you through the last 12 months? Who were you listening to? Great question. Um, I would say I've been listening to a lot of Chromio, which is like a funk band. Of course. Um, I've been listening to a lot of Omar Apollo, which is this young, um, like Latino boy out of, I think, Indiana or something, but he's pretty cool. Um, I've been listening to this kid named Grady. He's not a kid, he's an adult. I'm listening to this guy named Grady, who's from Los Angeles, who's been doing a lot of songwriting. Um, he's a great producer. Um, yeah, I, I have had trouble kind of staying up on listening to new music, especially when I'm writing my own music. So I really get, you know, really focused and I get worried that sometimes like through listening to all of these influences, I'm worried that it's going to influence what happens in the studio when I'm there. You know what I mean? I want to try to stay true and organic to what I'm working on at the time without too many outside influences. When creating art, the big looming word over everything is doubt, is doubt and uncertainty. And should I go this route? Should I go that route? Should I continue with this? What the heck am I wasting my time doing this for? So during periods of uncertainty, what do you do? And then how do you push through? There is a lot of doubt throughout the creative process of making San Francisco. Um, questioning if I should dance, questioning if there should be, you know, a couple's dance number, a same-sex couple's dance number, questioning if the track sounds too pop, questioning whatever. Um, and I think in those moments, I've stepped back and asked, like, why not? Like, why? Like... I have doubted and pushed off for so long working on my own music and it got to a point where, especially in trying to find representation of gay Asian Americans, um, like why not me? Like why not be the singer or why not dance or, you know, why not make this song how I want it to sound? Like literally why not? Um, and I think in asking that question, it really kind of peels back the doubt and um, validates what you're doing, what I'm doing a lot more. Perhaps most essential, profound, transformative question one can ask, why not me? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. I can't take credit for that. I only know that phrase so well because of Mindy Kaling's book, also called Why Not Me, which was like the kind of the crux and the big theme of it. So what's next? I know it's hard to say that you've been sitting on a song for a year. I hope, uh, you, don't, I hope you don't have to wait another year for round two. No. What is next? <laughs> Working under the pressure of getting a video out like, like within a month was a lot. And I don't think I ever want to do that again. <laughs> I don't think I'm ever, yeah. Like, um, so one, what's next is I'm going to take my sweet ass time and doing these, like making sure everything I do is correct and what I want. Don't want to rush anything out. Not saying that San Francisco is rushed by any means. Um, but uh, there is a live version of San Francisco that we're almost done with that we are going to um, re-record and film. 
um, which is like very largely acapella, like live drums, live bass. I'm really excited about it. So that'll come out within the next couple months. Um, and then, yeah, I've been, still been in the studio working on new music and um, we'll see what this next process is like. Something that I have kind of, um, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race lately and I was really influenced by the way they structure their challenges, every, their weekly challenges. One, one week is inspired by, hey, you're going to have to write and perform a song. Next week, it could be live comedy. You have to do stand-up. Next week, it's like, you have to make a dress. Like, so it's really testing the creativity that uh, exists in the, the world of you know, drag queens. It's really fascinating. But inspired by kind of how they categorize all of those skills and talents, made me kind of want to strategize my next move after that. So this one, I sang, I danced, I wrote a song, but I'm not going to do that again for the next music video or maybe ever again. I want to do something different. So it's like, what avenues can I explore now? Is it comedy? Like, should we go, you know, write, you know, a short film or something for the next music video? Should we really delve into fashion on a much deeper level? Um, what kind of creative boundaries do we test? Um, which I think is kind of reflective of what I studied at Arizona State, because I studied arts administration, which was a cross-degree, cross uh, cross-institute uh, cross degree program from WP Carey School of Business and Herbiker Institute of the Arts. Um, and in that degree program, it was required that I take like three classes of each medium offered at ASU, medium of art, so design, um photo etc um so yeah, i think going back to that and using that as a structure for this create like creative strategy for erica is going to be a nice little blueprint to play around with it's great because I, I love that you're getting inspiration from different mediums yourself by watching rupaul's show yeah and I think that's great i think you're always going to yeah. find if you look hard enough you can find inspiration anywhere and it's a transformative mindset how yeah. do you stay how do you stay in the right frame of mind because you've got a thousand things going on <laughs> I know you're constantly busy, so it's got to take a toll. How do you make sure that you're in the right frame of mind yeah. to do all these things? Yeah, um, right now I'm definitely not like managing <laughs> it very well. I it's weird. After the music video came out, I had like um, a little like postpartum depression, which is like weird because I was focused, focused, and going so hard on this project, but then it got released and like it performed well. It performed exactly how I expected it to, and nothing went wrong. Um, but I was just sad because I was like, what do I do with all this energy now? Which is weird because I do have like next steps and I'm working on the next stuff, but like, I don't know. So following up on that, the, the I don't know, managing my anxiety and like all the stuff that goes with now having, you know, being in the public sphere and like putting music out that is up for, you know, critique and judgment. I want to be more proactive about that and like, preparing for you know when people don't like the song and when I get the first dislike on my video and all that stuff so um definitely getting back into therapy which is great and then also um just like on my music video everyone got paid on that project I paid everyone um and it made me realize the importance of investing in certain parts of your career like I said where there are holes and you need help ask for help um so I actually just 
hired an assistant that's going to be helping me manage all this stuff and keeping me on track that I can like use as a soundboard to make sure I'm not just like talking to myself all the time. So yes, therapy and uh, paying in for a new assistant. Yeah. <laughs> I see how it can be very emotionally jarring if you've been chasing a destination for a long time. When you reach that destination, you're happy and there's that sense of fulfillment, but at the same time, it's like, well, now what? And is life yeah. really different? So it's, it's, it's where you have to learn to love the journey as opposed to a destination. I think working in music and seeing music campaigns from independent artists really like leveled my expectations of like what happens when you put a song out. Like you can't just put a song out and then expect it to go viral. Like it's going to take a while. It's going to take like at least a month, if not months for someone to even recognize that it exists. Um, but until then, you know, doing what you can to you know, playlist it, sync it, whatever. Um, those are all things that I'm working on independently on my own end. This has been such an amazing conversation. I've learned a lot and I really admire just the process you've gone through just personally, but also professionally on this song. And I was super excited when I saw its release. How can people stay up to date? How can they follow your career? How can they listen to the song, watch the video? If you want to stay up to date on Erico, you can follow me on Instagram at, at hey.erico, E-R-I-K-O. Um, and you can search for Erico, E-R-I-K-O, on all streaming platforms to listen to San Francisco. You can watch the video on YouTube now. San Francisco was based on the importance of your time in the Bay Area, so it does seem like a sequel of Phoenix slash Scottsdale slash Peoria something. <laughs> I feel like that's got to be in the future. Maybe. I think I want to find, um, I think I want to find the right way to okay. pay tribute okay. to the revered city of Peoria. I'll settle for Tempe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks, man. Yeah. We'll bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Much appreciation to Erico. Love the song. Love the project. Keep doing you, and I am excited to see what's next. Be sure to give him a follow on Instagram and subscribe to his YouTube channel. You can find him at hey.erico on the gram and stick around to the end of the episode to hear another portion of his song, San Francisco. My new book, Curiosity, is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone's unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from any given runway show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Adiento. Randall has become like, you know, New York's favorite son. Wake me up in San Francisco. Francisco